Hey, engine professionals, machinists, and enthusiasts, welcome to the Engine Professional Podcast. For another edition of the Engine Professional Podcast. This is episode number 22. My name is Steve Fox. I'm here with my co-host Chuck Lynch. Chuck, how's uh, everything going? Oh good, Steve. Busy, busy, busy. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Keeps us out of trouble and makes the time fly by. So. <laughs> yes, it does. I think that's the story from everybody, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, shops are busy. Yeah, shops are busy. Uh, sounds like the parts are starting to get a little better. Um, so that's somewhat a good sign. Right on. Well, we'll jump right into it. Uh, one of the things we just finished up was the Liberty Engine Parts Conference down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for those who attended, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for all of our exhibitors. And a special thank you to Liberty Engine Parts for hosting that conference. It was outstanding. We had uh, probably 110 attendees there, 41 tabletop exhibitors. I know Chuck wasn't there. It was Dave Hagen and myself. But it was it was a great, great conference. Uh, heard nothing but good comments. Great topics were discussed throughout the day. Um, and that's what those are for, Chuck. Just to it's a it's a regional type conference to get those guys to come without that big expense of traveling for three or four days. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems that I hear things about how uh, they build relationships at those conferences. A guy that was maybe your competitor, you find that he can be of assistance. Now, you hear that story more and more anymore. I think the complexity of things, people, you know, they may find it an itch or whatever. So, yeah, it's an opportunity to learn, but the networking is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things I saw was machine shops were actually talking to each other. Well, well, when probably, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, boy, you couldn't get two machine shop guys in the same room to talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Proverbial making the cross. Yeah. Stay back. He, he's the enemy. <laughs> But that was, that was good to see, and uh, we have another one coming up here in March. Uh, it'll be actually be March 17th and 18th. Yes, that is a two-day conference, and that is CWT Industries down in Norcross, Georgia, uh, the balancing companies, or company. And what we could do, Chuck, is maybe just kind of go in a little bit of the schedule and see what our topics are for discussion at that conference. Well, you know, we're going to kick off on Friday morning. Um, it's going to be a, a group of folks from the, let's call it the mid-range diesel world. Uh, that would be like your Power Stroke, B-Series Cummins, uh, Duramax engines. And the discussions will be about the range tuning um, and the impact on what we see in the machine shop. So it'll be a little bit different than what we're used to because we're talking about, uh, you're gonna actually have some tuners that are there on the discussion panel. So that'll be uh, really interesting, again, because it's 
goes against what we're used to seeing and then how that impacts the machine shop. And I think, you know, we see that on the tech line. It's become more and more important. Hey, we see this because of that, cause and effect, cause and effect. So that's going to be definitely a, a good topic. And then from that break, we're going to move into uh, performance diesel machining opportunities. Um, everybody knows that there's lots of, not so much the black smoke rollers because they're getting smarter out there <laughs> and the performance is without the black smoke. But anyway, there's performance diesel opportunities. Then in the afternoon, uh, we're going to get into what's referred to as a high horsepower, but it's your big, big diesels, your Waukesha's, the Caterpillars and so forth. And uh, so we got people from that segment of the industry. So, you know, if you do a 34, 35, 3600 cat stationary power Waukesha's, uh, folks from that industry are going to be there. So, yeah, it's going to be a great opportunity to uh, have a lot of discussions. Yep. So Friday sounds like it's more of a diesel day. Yeah, definitely a yep. diesel day. Yep. And then Saturday we roll into more of a high performance day uh, where we'll talk about design overview and tuning of both two and four valve ports, um, development of cylinder head porting, a little CNC head machining, uh, high performance engine designs, uh, as well as um, a shake, rattle, and roll, which some may have seen that presentation already at some of our regional conferences. And that leads up to our big, big prize of the day, which to attend this conference, this two-day conference, it costs you 40 bucks. So it's, it's a pretty good deal uh, to get all that knowledge and information that is going to be presented there both days. Um, and then as well, your registration fee gets you into the grand prize drawing, which CWT is giving a complete MB5500 balancing machine away to one lucky winner. And you have to be present to win. But again, your registration ticket gets you that entry into that drawing. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah, mm. one lucky one lucky guy is going to go home with a new balancer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It's worth your time and effort minus that. Yeah. So this is definitely bonus. It's a full one bonus. And Randy Neal, uh, owner of CWT, he is uh, he likes to give back to the industry and he likes to give back, period. So 100% of all the fees collected will be donated to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, that's one thing that Randy wanted to do. So uh, that's what's going to happen with all of the money that we collect. And you can also buy tickets for the machine at the conference. So if you'd like to get additional entries into winning that grand prize, we will be able to sell you tickets at the conference as well. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve, because, if, you know, ideally we want as many pre-registrations as we can possibly get so we can plan accordingly. But once you get there and have the opportunity to buy some additional tickets, hey, up the ante. Increase your odds. <laughs> All right, Chuck. So today uh, we might as well roll into our topic of discussion, which is going to be engine assembly. So why don't we jump right into it? Let's do it.
we stated, our topic today is engine assembly, and obviously that starts with preparation. Now that we've got all our machine work done, we've cleaned it, checked everything out, everything's good, done the machine work on the engine, now we're ready to assemble the engine. And probably one of the biggest things that, I think we all know this, but it's best to reiterate it over and over again, is cleanliness is the main thing. Right, right. You always heard that as a kid, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. And and uh, absolutely paramount when you're building engines. You know, our old buddy Dan Bagley in presentations, and, you know, and King, they've said it as well as when they're looking at bearing failures. 75% or higher. I think the number was in the 80 percentile that it's abrasive material of some form or fashion. <clears throat> so you have to understand, is it my dirt or the potential the customer's dirt if you send something out without a intake manifold or oil pans and so forth? But it's got to be clean. And that's your workstation. All of the parts that you cleaned up and have them prepped and ready, everything around that needs to be clean. Your tools, you know, some people use the same, they might use the same tool to assemble that they tore down with. Well, you don't want to transfer older to a new build just because you didn't clean your tools up. So some people keep them separated. Not all can, not all do. So clean, clean, clean. Yeah, if you have the ability um, to have a, a assembly room, that would be the best, you know, because then you got a door and, you know, that wall, that room is segmented off uh, away from all the other dirt and traffic you know usually those rooms are kind of away from everybody to where you don't have a lot of traffic walking through there because you know you could bring in something just some lint off your clothes that you don't even know about and it falls off or something and as you're can be on a on a bearing like you say or something like that and that is that is not good either right right um that that carry over like you said, you might potentially bring something out of the shop area and create mm -hmm. contamination. But also, it, it probably helps from the distractions. You know, oh, if you're yeah. out in the open and everybody's going to stop by, but you're you're kind of sequestered away in a little room and working on the builds. That's, that's going to be ideal. Avoid the distractions. Yeah. And you want to make sure, as you're building this engine, that you have all the specs that you need. Uh, obviously, AERA has a program called Process Pro, so we have specs for over 13,000 engines in there. But having those specs, the clearances, uh, ring-in gaps, torque specs, that type of thing, you know, if you have the ability and you have Process, print it out and have it right next to you so everything's there. Uh, if not, you got an iPad, take the iPad back with you and you can log in from there. So, But having that information is key to making sure you got the right specs and the right information. Yeah, yeah, good point, Steve. You know, and I, I've used this before in podcasts, but it, it, it's very relevant to so many things that we do. And again, we started with preparation and just having your specs ready. That's a whole begin with the end in mind. And I know that I'm going to get to the point where I'm tightening all these bolts, not checking this, checking that. Begin with the end in mind, have that stuff ready. So you can approach a lot of things with that in mind. Again, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So all parts have uh, been inspected prior to us, you know, getting the thing going is definitely going to save you some troubles as well. Uh, 
whether it's new parts, and we've had these discussions, we've done podcasts on your incoming inspection and your new parts, but you have to qualify anything that would you would potentially use over. If I'm using fasteners over, uh, did my cleaning process beat up threads? Uh, you know, you want to make sure that of that uh, pitting under bolt shanks, maybe it was a, a bolt goes into water. You don't want those things to be in distractions. Again, you don't want that person walking up to you and talking to you and you forget where you're at. But you don't want your inspection of parts become a distraction and then oh did i did i check that clearance did i tighten that fastener properly did i do those things because i'm oh well, that doesn't look good right oh, that doesn't look good then you're you're going you know two steps forward and slide five back so you don't want to do that no you definitely want to double check everything as it comes in so like you say you're not you're not back there having to walk over here walk over there and check this check that you want that all when you go to assembly everything should be ready to roll uh, ready to go no no issues no problems so speaking of that you know once you've done that inspection probably laying out your parts in the order that you're going to assembly is probably a good thing you know they make some of those assembly trays uh, we used to have a couple of them in the shop where we'd lay everything out and have everything there ready to go. So making sure that those parts are laid out and ready to go is uh, just another way to double check everything as well, I think. Absolutely. Or the counts there. And, and uh, you know, say if it's uh, some, it gives some contrast and you know, ooh, something really stands out because maybe I put these parts on a piece of white plastic or whatever that it was already machined out and you know speaking of uh, uh, one of our members uh cast chode, chode engineering was a uh, machining he's using his machining center he made some plates to put because he does a bunch of power strokes so since it's a power stroke he has all that stuff kind of laid out hmm, it's just a hey my eight piston oilers there's mm-hmm. an open spot there just it's a real quick reference thing so be laid out and organize the right counts and that'll help you move along no that's a good idea getting in and you know having having the ability to make that stuff your, yourself is great um not everybody can do it but it is kind of neat to i saw those pictures too and it was real neat how he had everything laid out and it had its own spot or own home if you want to call it right right more of our folks that are doing the cnc work you know see You've got those opportunities, but as you mentioned earlier, they're available to be purchased as well. Sure. Organization. Organization is key. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in addition to that, um, like plugs, we take we take a fair amount of calls on plugs because, oh, where does this plug go? How many plugs? Do you have a size for that or whatever? And you definitely, that can be some major frustration. So again, that, you know, in your preparations, get those laid out. Which one has an oil hole, you know, air bleed hole or something of that nature? Is, it a, is this supposed to be a screw-in plug, a soft plug, brass, steel? Be prepared with that kind of stuff. Uh, pre-applied sealants, or do you need to put a sealant on? Does that affect your speed or your pace at which you're working if it's something that you apply does i have to have a cure time before i can move on so again having that that kind of plan uh, and just again preparation 
Speaking of sealants, Chuck, what what what's the uh, I'd say a good sealant to put on some of those plugs? You know, like if you can explain to some of the listeners some of the sealants that would be good to use on a plug like that. There, Depending on what it is, obviously, I, I get that part. But. Right, right. So if you, you know, like screw in plugs, and I don't mean to give a brand favoritism, but it's, you know, we just talk in terms. It's like, what kind of Coke do you want? A Pepsi. We say yep. some of those things, but like, there's a, a Loctite PST five six five, and it's a paste that you can put on your screw in plugs, and it gives you some lubricity value but it's a sealant so things of that nature are really easy it's a lot better than trying to to put teflon tape on something that typically we don't do that in an engine but i've seen it and you don't want that to shear and end up stopping up a pickup screen uh, on so soft plugs there's a lot of like permatex uh, yep. they have that i think kind of like we call the indian head some people use silicone but there's some really good products like the 540 cup and core. Uh, Permatex has it. Usually it's interesting that most everybody's made it like a real brilliant blue color, royal blue. Mm-hmm. And it's a cup and core sealant and it works very well. And I'll just explain a little bit why that's different than a thread locker. So thread lockers cure really, really hard, right? Uh, they're uh, anaerobic sealant, but when in the absence of air, they cure, and they're like a Jolly Rancher. So you want to keep a fastener in place. But like the 540 cup and core, and I've been through this deal, uh, working with Loctite many years ago, and because we were doing that, using like Loctite 277, because we had a bunch of it. So, oh, we should put this on the cup plugs too. Uh, and the engineer came in, he's like, oh, he goes, I want you to apply this, the 277, and then do this 540 cup and core. It goes and then peel it back off, knock the plug off, and then peel it off. And I could take the remnant of the blue stuff and tie it in a bow. But the oh, other wow. stuff was like a Jolly Rancher. He said, so what that does with the vibration and movement and stuff, it gives you some flexibility. So, wow, lesson learned. Stuff yeah. works great. So, yeah, they made 540 in cup and core, and it's very specifically for that kind of application. So it's good stuff. Um, flange gasket eliminator it works great between like main caps uh, rear seal housings uh, some of the places where you don't have gaskets but you may have imperfections in surfaces it's a rear main cap how many uh, rear seal leaks get blamed because there's that little chamfer on the main cap doesn't fit 100% with the the register in the block oil migrates between the two surfaces and you say ooh I got a rear seal leak change rear seal, still got a rear seal leak. So things of that nature, but that also has proven to be a pretty decent plug sealant too, like screw-in plugs. So yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff out there. You got a particular application to discuss, give us a shout, these pretty common calls. Yeah, <clears throat> well, thanks for sharing that with everybody. I think it's kind of neat to give them some tips and uh, things that they should be using or, or could possibly use to seal those plugs up. Uh, moving on to our hit list here of things that we want to talk about. Probably another thing is what they call lint-free rags. 
and you definitely want to make sure that you don't have any lint or small particles of a rag as you're wiping things down falling off into the engine yeah the the common thing we see is when you look at the pickup screen that looks like it's got a rat nest in it right yeah <laughs> but sometimes we take engines apart that had a issue and why did the bearing touch only there and there was a little one of the little ghost herd lint balls that got between the back side of the bearing and the connecting rod or the main housing door or whatever the case may be and you're displaced the bearing and now that part's rugging against the shaft and again pe not people outside of our industry they probably just don't get that but you know when we're talking okay i got main clearances of a thou and a half and I've got a ball of lint. Okay, so I smash it. I'm not going to smash it to zero, right? Right. So I'm, I'm going to take up the clearances, and it's going to be a problem. So lint-free rags isn't a gimmick. It's, it definitely has its place in our industry. As we're moving on in assembly, and you're assembling that engine, you get all the, the lower end done, you want to make sure that you definitely do not get any oil on your gasket sealing surfaces right i know that there's some what do they call that that spray aerosol chisel yeah the acetone is a great one you know acetone's fingernail polish remover you pick it up at the cvs or the drugstore yeah. uh walmart's whatever if you if you can't buy it in bulk from your distributor but that's a good thing to have around it it, it evaporates so quickly uh, you wipe the surfaces because all the gasket manufacturers are really going to grumble if you have oily surfaces. The gasket's going to tend to slip around and flow. Then if you have to apply a seal on it, say a step joint or a T-joint, T-joint would be where your oil pan, timing cover, and the front of the block maybe all kind of meet there. So you have to put silicone, right? I have two, maybe three gaskets. So I have to put silicone at that little spot. Well, if it's all oily, well, I put silicone on top of an oil slick. I didn't bond anything together. So, you know, you need to really consider those areas. Uh, oil pan gaskets have probably been one of the worst slipping around. Uh, you know, now they put steel struts through them, or maybe it's a, a spaghetti string that goes into a void volume groove. But try to keep the oil on the bearings and the pistons and the cylinder walls and not on everything else. <laughs> You don't want to look like that kid kind of that fell into the <laughs> into the mess, right? <laughs> hey, pig pen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and um, once you get to that point, hey, I've got everything applied gasket-wise and so forth, uh, as you're tightening down your fasteners, it, you know, checking your work, as you go is is hypercritical and we have so many fasteners it's easy to lose track of that right you know? oh there's so many fasteners nowadays <laughs> yeah so a, a good thing to do is to maybe have a snug value most if we look now most bolts will say they're they're torque plus angle on most everything we do and you get to call all the time does that mean it's torque yield no it doesn't torque plus angle can be a snug value and then angles always angle 
So if it's 12, or we see this actually quite a bit, 144 inch pounds. So, you know, your 12, 13 foot pounds might be the snug value for something. And then you rotate it 90 degrees, 180 degrees or whatever. So you typically always put a mark on that because it has that value, right? It's It's got to be turned a certain number of degrees. But you can take any fastener and, for instance, small block Chevy. And they say 25, 45, and 65. So when I torque that initial snug value to 25 pounds, maybe I say 12 to 6, I make a mark. And then when I rotate those bolts, I can really quickly see, hey, yeah, these were all torqued to 45 pounds because they're all torqued basically the same. You have variation in length of bolts and you have a little bit of stretch, but you're going to see it's in a good proximity. It's going to be turned the same amount. And you can do that also with uh, something like on a rocker arm. Did I check the lash? You know, put a paint. I say paint loosely. They've got these paint pins, but they're actually dye. You got to be careful because there are paint markers and you don't want to use those in most instances because where do you think that stuff usually ends up it washes off and it goes in the lifter mm-hmm. and i've been through this before back in the day i remember there was a guy chuck karosic and some of the veterans that hear this they will I, I remember chuck he was the guy he was candy all the time chuck candy man but he would always prove it you know let's take those lifters apart and there you, you see flakes of paint because you painted something inside of the engine or using one of those paint markers that is really paint. So things like that are, they're, they're very helpful. They're very important. Just keep in mind that uh, we want to make sure that it's not something that's going to cause another problem because it truly is paint. Uh, And like directional, I just took this call yesterday. As a matter of fact, is about the direction of head gaskets. That's really, really important and can cost you a bunch of money. You put a head gasket on upside down or backwards because a lot of times the stuff fits. The dowels aren't usually in some weird orientation. They're directly opposed to one another, front to rear, something of that nature. There are some cases out there where you just can't do it, and that's nice. That was a good engineering design. Can't put it together wrong, but most of the cases you can't. And like Forge are a real good example with the reverse flow put them one upside down and it's a problem. So now you're wasting. My engine build is not very profitable when I expected to use two gaskets and now I'm using four. So things of that nature, uh, pay attention and to make it very visible, like uh, the little forward arrow on a piston. So maybe highlight that with your die marker. Um, Things like that can just help you click along. And once you create a habit of it, it's a habit. You're just going to do it and you're going to, you can have much higher confidence that you're producing a good part. Yeah. Really good point on those bolts as you're doing a, a, a multi-step torque sequence, you know, just when you make that first initial torque, like you say, just make a mark 12 to six. And then where you'll know that, Hey, I've, I've torqued that one at least the second stage, you know, as you move along and then you get an alignment mark of where the second one is and they, okay, you do the third step and it's, it's moved again you know so it's it's that's a good point to make that 
torque sequence a lot easier to just kind of glance through there and go, yep, I did them all. Because there have been several times, you know, especially in a one-man shop or somebody walks in and you start talking, you look back and you go, oh, man, where did, where did I leave off at? <laughs> you know, you just don't know. So. Yeah, exactly. That that leave off point is, and another thing that those give you. Now, I came from a a place where we did engine audits, so you could look at all of those marks, and then you could make a mark from that to the casting, and then you could back the bolt off, and then pull it back up, and it should repeat. Okay, so if it's supposed to be ultimately sixty five foot pounds. Okay, those marks all lined back up. Hey, I got great level of confidence that that was good. You could do that on a on a blown head gasket as well. Okay, yeah, it sure looks. It's this thing's turned it at three o'clock, so it was probably torqued. And so I'll make that mark, and then maybe I set my torque wrench at whatever that spec was, and oh, I turn it, and it turned another. It it's a five o'clock now. Well, that gasket's probably crushed. It probably blew a head gasket. So I had so much thermal expansion, just crushed the gasket. So just because, you know, you're making that mark, it's actually a pretty good tool for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with anything else, uh, as we're moving along here, there's a lot of lubricants that can be used in an engine. Uh, not all the same. So you want to make sure that you're using the correct assembly lubricant in the, uh, in the right areas. Right, and sometimes I'm be a little crass here, but sometimes these are the things that separate a, a bolt turner, engine assembler, from an engine builder. And when you know things like you don't pack your oil pump with grease, okay, what what's the temperature? So uh, again, our tech line's great. We get so much content from the tech line. Just this week, talking to a guy about he does machine work. The guy's got noise, come to find out, oil pump's packed full of grease. Now, not lubriplate, not Vaseline that has a real low melting point, like wheel bearing grease. Grease. Okay. <laughs> so, what's, some of that stuff doesn't flow until it reaches 450 degrees on purpose. You know, like right. this is high temperature grease. So, you're not going to flow oil through that. It's, and so he's got valve train noise, collapse lifters, and stuff. So be careful. Make sure that you're using a, if I'm going to use a lubriplate, that it's used with bearings and things of that nature. You shouldn't really even pack an oil pump with that. Use oil, something that can flow. And it'll take up the air gaps enough that you can create suction and you can pick up oil. Uh, you don't want to go and say, oh, this is the most slippery grease in the world and put it under your head bolts because they're usually factored. There's a friction, a coefficient of friction that is rated for a particular fastener. You can, you can make stuff really, really slippery. You might break the fastener if you're lucky, but you might strip out the threads in your joining part. You may bust a casting, um, been there, done that. I remember I mentioned earlier the PST 565, the good plug sealant. Well, I had a head bolt that goes into water. Hmm. This probably worked just fine for sealing off that head bolt that goes into water. Well, you know what? It had a different coefficient of friction and I broke castings. So 
you know, you probably want to evaluate those things. But in in most instances, like our rod bolts, our main our performance stuff, you know, the ARP type lubes and so forth. Sure. You see those, they have their certain requirements. The extreme pressure lube that you use on your cams may not what you, be what you want to use on bolts. So again, there's usually, and, and you can look it up or give us a call. A lot of the service manuals, they say, apply oil under the head of the bolt. Uh, so don't just arbitrarily go adding the most slippery stuff you can find. And speaking of head bolts, um you should probably put some kind of lubricant on the threads instead of installing them dry. Um, it, just asking. And reason being is it could probably, it, you don't want to put that in there dry and it changes the torque value. Is that correct? Right. Actually, some fasteners will specify when it's new. You say if they have like that zinc plate coating, they will say to apply with oil only. But there's some examples like the, the North Star, 4.6 North Star, had some pre-applied mm -hmm. orange pasty stuff. And you need to make sure that you don't put oil on top of that because uh, you can really mess up what's going on there. So again, there are, there are instances, you just have to kind of follow the parameters of it. But as a rule, oil is the safe thing to put on the fastener. In, Put it on the fastener. Don't shoot it in the hole. Uh, we've seen so many people put so much oil, and you don't want it dripping off of the bolt. I've seen something that's really effective is just take like some foam kind of sponge and soak that in oil, and then you press the bolt against it, and then that way you're not putting a ton of oil. It's going to end up hydraulic in the bolt hole and maybe bust in a casting or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good to make sure you got everything lubricated correctly and you are using the right lubricant for the appropriate area, which leads us up to priming the lubrication system um, before you do any kind of testing. Yes, <clears throat> I think when, when it was easy and it was a distributor drive thing, people did a better job of it. And yeah. now... They're like, oh, I got to buy this tank and I have to pressurize the tank. It's got to have oil in it. And where do I put it in the block? And people tend not to do it. It's, you know, there's, I'm, I will name some names. You got Melon, you got Silver Seal, you got all these people that have goods and they have these priming kits. And give them a call, get those things. They're simple to use. Some black iron pipe fittings and so forth. And you can make it work on anything. That, do that that's the safe thing to do and you could probably get rid of some valve train noise issues and things of that nature could push the air out of the system do it it's a good thing pretty cheap insurance to make sure Absolutely. that everything is done yeah yeah agreed <clears throat> and uh you know in in preparation for the engine if, are you going to ship it is it going to get stored they might change some things where they use like a a fogger on your valve spring so it might not rust and you should lubricate your cylinders when you're doing the assembly so you you really shouldn't have to put a bunch of stuff in your cylinders but you might need to spray the crankshaft before you put the oil pan on maybe the pickup screen i still again i advise priming it push the oil in there even if you got to drain it out you can't ship it with oil in it anyway right not legally 
So, you know, you might want to consider those things in preparation of it. Um, I did want to mention something that it doesn't impact a ton of people, but there are people who have SIM test machines in their shops. Some people run dynos. If you have like a bulk oil thing that you use, maybe for your assembly, again, because we know we're talking to shops from one man to the production engine rebuilders and so forth. And if you have a situation where you have bulk oil that maybe has dye in it, you want to be careful to not use that when you assemble. I know it might be a pain in the butt to have two different sources of oil, but, you know, get a quart of oil for your assembly instead of using some bulk containment that might have dye in it. I came from that world, and you might be chasing a leak that's not really there. So if you, you don't want to cross-contaminate and use an oil that has dye in it, and then you got that on the outside of your block, and then when you are testing, that you see something, oh, what's going on here? And, you, you know, when you cat chasing your tail, you know, for no good reason. You know, there wasn't a spider on the tail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Chuck, I think we've given a lot of good information here. Uh, just run over some quick points that, that I could take out of this is cleanliness is the number one thing. You want to make sure everything is clean. Uh, you've got the specs that you need. Uh, be organized. Um, make sure you're using the right lubricants and the right specs to torque everything. So using those four or five key things to, to assemble an engine, I think is, is great. And if you can do that, you can be pretty successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Chuck, now that we've got the engine assembled, I guess the next thing would be engine testing it. So that's going to be our next topic of discussion here on the podcast is testing that engine once it's all assembled. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to go about that. So I, th I think we have to do a little preparation and, and think about those. Again, we've got shops from one man to, to the big shop. So we'll probably hit on various different types of test methods that can save you some headaches. Yeah, and we might have a couple guests come on that, that might be able to give us some input and in their experiences with it and so on. So it'll be good to have some people come on and, and kind of help explain that process to everybody. Absolutely. So as we mentioned earlier, uh, the upcoming regional here, March 17th and 18th, will be at CWT Industries in Norcross, Georgia at Randy Neal's place. Uh, remember, your registration does include a ticket to win that balancer. And you can uh, register for the conference either online at AERA.org. There's a, there's a link right in the front page there for the conference registration brochure. Or you could call our office at... Uh, 888-326-2372 and Karen can get you all registered uh, for the conference. So looking forward to seeing everybody there. I think it'll be a good time. And remember, if you win, you must be present. That is must correct. Must be present to win. That is correct. And you can buy tickets there. So yes. increase your odds. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't subscribed to the Engine Professional Podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcast listening platforms or listen online at engine professional or podcast.engineprofessional.com. All right. Or you can email questions or comments to eppodcast at aera.org. That is eppodcast at aera.org. And we'd love to get feedback, questions, uh, give us an idea on what you want to hear about. 
Absolutely. Always looking for topics. Uh, we've got a good bank, but you know what? We're not out there uh, in the shops every day doing this stuff. Uh, we used to be, but we're not anymore. So if you can fill us in with anything that you'd like us to talk about, we'd be happy to research it and do it. Well, Chuck, this concludes another episode of the podcast. Uh, looking forward to uh, spring coming around. I hope it's coming soon. <laughs> I hope so, but man, Mother Nature, I think she's she's on hallucinogenic drugs. Or something. It's <laughs> yeah, crazy. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I think one day we'll be 50s, and then the next day, we're, or two days later, we're getting snow. So, <laughs> But at least, at least it's uh, hopefully on its way out soon. So, hope so. <laughs> All right, Chuck, well, uh, we'll do a little research on engine testing and come back and do another episode uh, till next time. Till next time, Steve.